It's Brave Men with Paul Lewis Cole. Wisdom and courage for the journey. I'm sitting with Dr. John Kelly, who's the leading convener of the International Coalition of Apostolic Leaders. And we talked about correction in our first time together, this being Brave Men, the second time with Dr. John Kelly. And one of the things that you mentioned, uh, even off mic, as you said, it always has to lead to restoration. Right. You think that too much of what we do in our church today or in our world today really doesn't lead to the restoration of a man's life? And that's a good question. Real good question. You know, when we, when we look at Matthew 18, mm. which deals with confrontation, you know, I, I don't even know if, 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 I don't know how you can lead a, a church or a mission or ministry, you know, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. if you're not willing to confront, especially confront sin and be able to confront sin of the individual, sin of culture, and like I said earlier, uh, sin that's within legislation, you know, sin of a nation. Sin within culture. Yeah, just sin, yeah. period, yeah. okay? And if you look even at the seven deadly sins, you can, you can find all that w- within culture and within mm-hmm. government and so forth. So when we look at Matthew 18, it's talking about confronting the person that's in error. The whole purpose of Matthew 18 is restoration. Mm. You know, so you have have been offended. You talk with them, you know, and the purpose of your talking with them is to bring restoration. But you have to bring correction first. And if they repent, if they repent right then and there, it's over. But if they don't repent, then you come back with two or more Mm -hmm. witnesses. Yeah. Two or three witnesses. You you come right. back with the witnesses. You're the third party. And you confront again. And if they repent, it stops right there. And and restoration begins. At the third time, if if now if they don't, you take it to the church. This is mm-hmm. a, this is uh, something that has some magnitude to it. Then it goes to the church. Right. And and expose that to church. And then there there comes the you know, putting them out of the church like what Paul did in in First Corinthians, right. where he puts the young man out of the church for the destruction of his flesh. You know, for the, salvation the salvation of his spirit. Of his, uh, right, uh, right, right, right. Restoration. So, you're right, and then we see in Second Corinthians where he's telling them he's almost begging them to bring him back mm-hmm. because even Paul, when he fell off the horse at Damascus, we think all of a sudden he became the great apostle at that moment. No. He had to go to the desert, <laughs> and he had to go through a couple of years of lessons there where he was going through a process of restoration because there were still things in him. It's like after I got saved, I had this powerful salvation experience, but yet there were still still things in me that were not good, <laughs> that need to be corrected. And that's called the process of conversion. That's yes. And you see from negative to positive, from dark to light, right? From chaos to Christ. Christ. Exactly. That is that process. So, so in many times in the church, it's like something has to hit a major. It's like a person is going through problem after problem, but we're not addressing it Mm. because we don't want to offend them. We don't want to hurt them, you know. Um, for many reasons, none of which are good. Right. You know, because they're all coming out of fear. 
yeah. you know, and they're all coming out yeah. of self-justification. Yeah. And so, so when we, when we, so what well, happens Well, it's easier is, to just cancel somebody. Well, it, well, it's like crime. <laughs> crime, crime right? begins when you're like a, like a young teenager and you steal this and you yeah, steal yeah, that. Yeah. But if it keeps being unchecked, that crime starts increasing. Right. It starts increasing. Well, I can get away with more. I can get yep. away with more. I can get yeah. away with more. You become more. emboldened. So that happens with these inner sins. So now these inner sins become outward actions over a period of time. Wow. And so, so this process is taking place. Meanwhile, everything's being winked at or, or you know, being ignored. At least overlooked or swept under the rug. Or swept under yeah. the rug. And then what happens comes the big one. Yeah. You know? And that's where somebody actually gets really hurt. Yeah, because what happens is the Bible says, humble yourself in the sight mm. of God. Why? Because if you don't, you could eventually get humiliated publicly. Yeah. You know, and so, so you come in love. The whole, the whole part of bringing correction is because you care for them. Right. You care for them and you want to see them restored. And so what, but what I've seen many times in the body of Christ is people, you know, put out a ministry, put out a church, various things without a restoration Without a process, process of restoration. Now, I've also seen it, too, yeah. where some leaders have, re, have, have been corrected, have been rebuked, and never went through a process. And I can name some of them. Yeah. And, and they didn't, just didn't short, skip a heartbeat. They, they just short-stopped the, the process. Or, or I remember some, Or one some guy. of them left ministry for maybe a year or something, and then they're right back. Or, oh, no. I, I remember one guy. It was, uh, what was it? It was 90 days. And it was like, and it was a pretty egregious thing and, and a moral issue that he had gone through. And it was fairly visible. This is just a few years ago. About 90 days later, he goes, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> and uh, I'm telling you, man, it, it, uh, we know even just habits, e e even with uh, you know, psychological work and, and people studying these things, they'll tell you a habit is not 21 days. It can, take, it can take a year to change a habit you know, that you, you, you know, your daily ritual. You, you have to begin to change your mind. Romans 12, too. How do you change your life? You change your life by changing the way you think. And then you find out what God's will is for you, beginning to change your thinking. And too often, we've just kind of put Band-Aids on stuff. Yeah, I mean, at, at, at my age, I'm discovering things in me mm. that need to change. Wow. And I have to be committed to the process. Now, some of them came from self-realization. Right. You know, some came from my looking at the scripture and saying, well, I'm not quite there. Yeah. You know, but some of it came from my bride, my precious mm. bride. And and uh, and some came, you know, from from friends. And right. and we have to we have to say, OK, let's say I, let, let's say they're saying something and I don't really quite see it. What, what I've discovered is this over a period of time after I've overcome my early arrogance, you know, was basically this that i may i may not be hearing or seeing what mm. they're saying but that doesn't mean it's not true right i need to really search myself like many times i've been in discussions with my wife and she'll go and she'll be telling me things about what i'm thinking and i'm going how does she know what, what i'm thinking <laughs> i don't even know what i'm thinking half the time you know and and then I discover either 15 minutes later or an hour and a half later, oh, my God, mm. I really was thinking that. 
You know, you know that and, takes and, and that, that takes courage. All, yeah, because that's always those things in us that we don't really right. want to change or fess up to. Courage in the book. Courage. Uh, in fact, it's uh, with if you can get the book at cmn.men. What's the website for uh, iCal? By the way. Oh, it's simple. Yeah. You know, it's www.icaleaders.com. ICA all, all, all one word, all I, all, yeah. all lower cap. ICAleaders.com. Uh, yeah. Okay. So, uh, so for more information on John Kelly and the, and the great work that he does all over the world in, help, in being leaders of leaders. But my dad wrote a book called Courage, and you get it at cmn.men, and it's on audiobook now. And then it's also on YouTube in a 10-part series that we just completed. And courage, in courage, one of the things that he talks about right near the start is to say it takes courage as a man. We're talking about what it means to have cojones. So we, we talked about that in the previous program and, and that there need, men need to be real men. And part of that is facing reality. I, I think in, in this culture in which we live, it is easy to put an Instagram picture on and to believe your own picture. That's really what my life is. When it's really not, it's a 10 second photo op. Yeah. Right. It's yeah. not really you. So it takes courage to face reality. It takes courage to admit need. It takes courage to change. Right. Right. It takes courage to hold convictions. Right. And it takes courage to walk it out. Right. And so these are things I think facing reality might be one of the most difficult things for us as men, because it's easier to say, ah, she'll be right. It's the Aussie thing. Yeah, she'll be right. Yeah, have a pint. She'll yeah. be right. Yeah, it's facing reality about ourself. Yeah. And it's facing reality about my inner, not, not only my actions, but my inner thoughts. Yeah. You know, and bringing all that, you know, and casting out the vain imaginations about myself. Wow. <laughs> so that I can get the view of Christ about me. Yeah. Which means because he sees the good, but he also sees the bad and the ugly. That's why reading the Word of God is so important for Very us as men, one. right? Because right. it shines a light on us. Right. And we and I, I can be reading about something else. I mean, I can be reading a Psalm of David in one sense, you know. My soul rises up to praise you, this, that, whatever. But in that anointing of the Holy Spirit, the power of God that's in that's present there in his word, something else can come up in my life. Right. Sometimes it can just be, hey, you forgot to call that guy and you need to call him because he needs a friend right now. Right. So, oh, man, I got busy. I didn't do it. That's so good. Right. Right. And, and that's that creative power of the Holy Spirit mm. that when you break open the word and you begin to focus on it. And remember, focus is not uh, about greater intensity. It's about greater intentionality. Focus in our lives as men, like vision is forged in the discipline to extract yourself from the unnecessary. What I found in prayer and being in the word is that quite often I'll start thinking of things I need to do immediately. Right? Mm -hmm. Anybody, you ever start praying and then stuff starts coming up? That's why I've always got, I've got this little journal. I've got things, I've got so many things written in here. Why? Because I just get, put it on the paper, get it out of my mind, and realize the Holy Spirit might just have been bringing that up to me. It wasn't a distraction. It was a prompting from the Holy Spirit. Hey, don't forget to do this project. Do this. Hey, have you thought of this? Have you read this? Have you looked at this? Have you modeled this properly? Oh, God, no, I haven't. Yeah, no, I, 
I, I didn't do that right. And I need to go and apologize to that person. You know, it's, you know, I think it's great that you're sharing that because I believe strongly in what you're saying. Mm. I think one of the problems is we don't speak strong enough about the fact that the scripture is the word of God. Mm. And that if you really want to know about God, you really have to, you really have to read his word and, and see what the spirit was saying to the, not only to the, to the church, you know, in the new Testament, but or the ecclesia or what he was speaking in, and also in the old Testament as well, because whether it's old or new, it's the word of God. And, and therefore it's inherent, it's inerrant and it's infallible. Because it's not just a manual for living. No, it's not I a manual for living. I hear that called that so no, many times. I, hey, yeah, here's yeah. A, it's a great Manual book, for marriage, manual. manual for this. No, it's not that. It is, it is the word of God, and, and you have to accept it as such, mm. you know, as the, as the word of God. And so that's, that's very important that, that we really understand that because there are several scriptures within the New Testament that, you know— after 40-some years in ministry, I still struggle with personally. Right. You know, because they're the ones that convict me. Right. They're the ones, that, and they're the ones I always want to give a little different interpretation to. Well, we don't, like con- we don't like conviction in a culture in which everything's supposed to feel good. Well, well, even Christianity's taught that way. Come to Jesus, you know, he'll heal your marriage. Yeah. He'll do this, he'll do that, he'll do this. When the truth is, he's sitting on the throne waiting for us all to do. Well, we talk about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and we don't realize what the true meaning of that is. Well, we're afraid many times, even in ministry, to use the word obey, you know? So, <laughs> well, okay, so it's, now you're talking so, discipline. So now it's it read the word, right? Read yeah. the word, hear the word, but obey the obey word. Obey the word. You know? The only scripture, uh, Rod Anderson, my great friend, uh, taught me this years ago. He said, the only scripture you truly believe is the scripture you're willing to do. Mm-hmm. Right? James one twenty five. you're a hearer, but not a doer of no the word. word. You're not going to be blessed. But if you'll do it, not just hear it, you'll be blessed. What's your faith? Let me put it this way. What's your, what's your, what's your concern about the church of today? And what's your faith in and uh, not only hope for? But your uh, sense of, man, I'm excited about the future of what's happening with the churches because of this. What's your concern and what's your, um, you know, what is it you feel good about? Hey, this is, this is going well. What's your concern? What's, what's the hope side? Well, I think one of my concerns, of course, is within the pulpit itself. Mm. And that is, you know, the willingness of the pulpit uh, to speak out. And to uh, speak out against, like I said, liberalization, you know, and um, this leftist type of policies mm-hmm. and and um, this wokeness that we're having, mm-hmm. because these are actually sin issues. You can speak to them through what my friend Jim Garlow calls biblical applicationalism. Right. And um, and by the way, he he wrote a he wrote a great book. Uh, well versed. Well versed. And yeah. on that, where he where he discusses that and how to use biblical application to almost every issue you can think of that's going on within our country today. But so it begins there. But I also think that, you know, leaders need to come together more regionally uh, to accomplish things regionally, uh, whether it be missions to the poor, uh, whatever it may be. And but also to be able to like, for instance, we're developing coalitions in nations 
and in cities in those nations and regions in those nations among apostolic leaders. And, and so basically those, it's basically focused on spiritual influence, but also being able to, you know, speak biblically having in the political realm, marketplace realm uh, as well, and to deal with those issues. So I think that's critical. But one of the things I noticed, in, uh, especially in the last two years, and I haven't been able to travel internationally, uh, one of the things I've noticed is we've had our, our, our two growingest years in the history of ICAO. And, and what I'm noticing is where there's pressure on the church, uh, whether it be political pressure, whether it be uh, social pressure, uh, whether it's, it's, it's more of a totalitarian pressure, whatever it is, that's where coalitions are coming together and even mm. growing stronger. So it's like uh, I can name some, some hard-to-access nations that we're in in Latin right, America, right. where we have our strongest and largest coalitions. Yeah, pressure, ha pressure has produced unity. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So it's like like Jesus prayed, you know, in 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 John was it John seventeen. So he prays, you know, that we all be one as he and the Father right. are one. And I am convinced that we are called to be as one. Now, now, very few will ever get that by revelation. Right now, I, and but the majority will absolutely get it by persecution. Yeah. Like, you want to see oneness in the church? You ought to look at the church in Ukraine right now. Mm. Incredibly one. And what pastors are doing there is absolutely incredible. You know, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of all this sacrifice, many of them are staying with their flocks. They've turned their sanctuaries yeah, yeah. into shelters. Refuge. You know, for yeah. feeding and sleeping and for aid for people. Uh, I just got a video back from there with a pastor in full military gear, you know, he's, he's, he's got a, an automatic weapon, you know, hanging from him. You know, the other guy that's doing the translation, he's an elder from the church. He's in full military guy. These guys are in combat. Mm -hmm. You know, they're literally in combat. And because they are fighting for, you know, to yeah. protect the innocence of their flocks. Now, that's a thing right there. John 13, 35 says, By this will everyone know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Okay? Now, we have taken that to the so excess that we've become so internalized that we've basically built this theology. When I was growing up, it was the same thing. Hey, if we love each other, people will see it and go, oh, hey, let's be a part of that. But that hasn't happened. It was called it was called the seeker style of church. And I've got a great friend, uh, and Doug Muren, who said, he said, you know, the problem is most men are not seekers, they're runners. Most men are not seeking. We're we're trying to go the other way. Running so, from. Yeah. So the love that speaks to people is the love that actually touches them. Right. Right? Right. Not that they observe, which comes back to discipleship which is it's always got to be about touch. Well, when you hear a lot of teaching on love, you know, it's more like sloppy agape, you know, and I can remember um, actually recently hearing a, a well-known speaker uh, leading a, a particular movement, and he was talking about 
feeling, smelling the perfume of Jesus and, and Jesus and feeling the kiss of Jesus on his, and a wet kiss from Jesus and so forth. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know if I want that, you know. <laughs> I want to stand in front of him. I want to stand next to him. I, I want him over me. I, I want him next to me. I want he's my you know, king. He's my king. He's within me and all, you know, but, and. Warrior's his name. Yeah, Warrior's his name. He's the king. He's the Lord. Yeah. You know? So, but, um, you know, so, so that when they talk about love, it's, it's, it's all about feeling and, and, mm. and, and it comes into this, this kind of almost mystical realm. When you look at love, and, and especially where the scripture, you know, talks about, you know, how a man's a love a woman as Christ right. loved the church. Yeah. And really what he's talking about there, Christ gave his life. So that means that, and then it talks about how the woman respects the man, because women, I mean, they love idiots. I mean, they love, they marry drug addicts, alcoholics, perverts. They marry all kinds of weird people <laughs> because they, you know, they love them. You yeah, know, it's emotional. They, yeah, it's he's emotional. cute. He's cute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's emotional. I know yeah. that I can help him, you know, where, but that but doesn't, the Bible says, but, the, but that, but they can see a woman can love has you, to be based on but respect. not respect you. Exactly. And so, because she can't trust so you good. because, because you're immature. Right. So, so what it's talking about there is that a man has to find that thing in him that he must murder, that he must put to death, that he must sacrifice on the altar for her. So in other words, if he has a drinking problem, a drug problem, a money problem, any kind, he, ne he needs to kill that thing. He needs to put it at rest in order to take her from love to, to respecting respect. him. Wow. Because what happens, especially after you've been married for 20 years, you know, that puppy love stuff is not quite there. Yeah, I don't think it takes you know? 20 years. And then, no, I don't think so either, but I'm just trying to be nice. <laughs> yeah. but, but the thing is, but, but then there has to be this, this respect. Mm -hmm. And not only her to him, but him to her. Yeah. You know, so that has to take place. There has to be this self-sacrifice on both parties. Well, the same thing's true with our relationship with Christ is the very same thing. You know, he's saying to us, you know, he's... He's waiting for us to make that sacrifice to mm. put on the altar, you know, that very thing, that very thing that's causing us to run from rather than seek to. But we don't like discipline. No. And we don't and we don't like self-discipline. And we are master negotiators with ourselves. That's a good word. Yeah. We we uh, one of the things that that I've talked about for some time is we have to make decisions against ourselves. You actually have to put into motion uh, boundaries and parameters for yourself that help create paths of discipline so that you become the person you desire to be. Because otherwise, your flesh is just going to say to you, no, nah, it's okay. No, it's okay. It's like uh, Jessica's here helping us with uh, the podcast production, and she made a decision to start working out. And she just she made a decision, right, against yourself that you're going to get up in the morning, you're going to go work out, how much, what can you do on legs now? What's, you're like it. <laughs> she could do 225 pounds on a squat. I mean, come on, man. Deadlift, <laughs> deadlift, deadlift, whatever. I don't know. It's, it's all that, you know, but, but I'm, the point is she had to make a decision against her own flesh and we don't like that. And we're living in a culture that tells us we don't have to do that and, and follow your passion. Follow your passion. 
And so we get three years into a marriage and a commitment and follow our passion leads us out. We go, oh, well, this is the new passion that I have. That's all emotion. Those are things you need to discipline. Those are things that you need. You, you talk about put it on the altar. That's a phrase comes out of, out of the word of God. that says basically, you know, crucify the flesh. That means self-discipline, make decisions to a point where you can't master negotiate yourself out of it. Right? Right. You've actually made a decision. You made a commitment. This is what I'm going to do. Right. And then you just do it. And uh, we don't like that because we're told, hey, you're, you can be this, you can be that, you can be this guy, you can be your... <laughs> Biggest mistake I ever made in my life was following my passions. <laughs> Please, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so I need to follow the truth of the Word of God. Yeah. Follow That's, the person. Follow, the person yeah. of Christ. Yeah. The person of Christ. That's it. So, so we've got issues and we've got different situations. What's your, uh, what's your take on the future of the church? Where are you at right now on that? Well, I think the church is going through, of course, I'm dealing with, with churches globally. Right. I know. So 40,000 foot elevation. So it's like in the middle third of the world, Mm -hmm. the church has been growing incredibly. Right. And still growing incredibly. And evangelism strong. You know, spirit of revival strong. Um, what has to happen in that part of the world, though, there has to be much more f- more focus on basically what we're talking about. You know, about character. You know, having to. You know, with scripture. You know, with with basically uh, training people uh, in the Word of God, but also also discipling has to take place more in that part of the world. And then in the Anglo part of the world, you know, which would be Europe, mm-hmm. um, Canada, the developed the, countries, the, the U.S., you know, yeah. the more developed countries, you know, Australia, different countries. The more developed countries, uh, we see the, we, we see a decline of church, is what everybody's yeah. talking about, the yeah. decline of Christianity. But if you look at the statistics, the statistics, you'll discover that charismatic Pentecostal Christianity, even in those places, is growing. It's still growing. It's still growing. Wow. And uh, now the problem is, especially among the charismatics, is we also have the charismatics where everything is experiential and mystical and so right, forth. Right, right. You know, and so, but we're also seeing an influx within those countries as well as of, of Africans, Mm-hmm. of Central South Americans coming in. And and so all of a sudden, those numbers in Europe, those numbers in those, in those more developed countries we're talking about, they're starting, they're going up. Yeah. They're going up. So that's adding to what's taking place within especially what we would call the charismatic part of the church. Yeah. And and people that study this and do data on this, they're they're seeing this. They're seeing this. I mean... You know, people that are with the Lausanne Covenant, people that are with right. the World Evangelical Alliance and so forth, they're seeing these things taking place. And so, so but what, hap- what has to happen is whether we're, to- no matter whether we're talking about the bottom third, the upper third, the middle third, the churches have to get more involved in speaking into the culture. And they have to begin to raise up m- more people and have people understand, you know, they... 
the penetration that we have to have of the marketplace, you know, as what Lance Walno started referring to as the seven mountains. Right. And and how we need to not only, you know, we need to raise up leaders within that. And so we have to look at our children and we have to look at, you know, training our children in the way they should go, but also educating our children. You know, what we need more than we do ministers in the pulpit right now, I think we have enough ministers in the pulpit. You know, what we really need are lawyers. Man, what we really you are need just... Are you are exactly right. Our corporate heads. Absolutely. You know, entrepreneurs. What we really need are politicians. Absolutely. This, this, this is what we really need. But we should be, be we should be raising them up and speaking on that, even even in children's church. Raising this them up in the church. This is what you can be. Because what we've done is we've raised up we've raised up the visibility of the pulpit to the point where we said, hey, unless you're doing that, you're, you're really not in ministry unless you're doing that. And so we've raised up our children, if you will, in church in order to be in church. Right. When what we need to be doing is raising them up within our churches to be in culture, not of it, but in it. My contention is if we raised up uh, 600,000 just in the United States where you and I live, if we raised up 600,000 new youth sports coaches, think about that. Think about the impact your coaches had in your life as a man. Right. right. You can still remember guys that coached you when you were in high school. Right. That took a that took an interest in you that spoke into your life. And it, just think about youth sports, 600,000 coaches who are followers of Christ that come out of our churches. Think about guys who write code. I mean, it's the nerds rule the world. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, that's a funny phrase, but it's true in the terms of coding, you know, the future of the world has to do with coding. If we raised up young men and women to do that, if we raised up young men and women to be lawyers, if we raised up young men and women how to serve in culture, how to run for the school board, if we did those things, that's the long game. Do you think that's part of our problem is we don't think of the long game? We're looking for instant something? I think it's our total, it's our total problem. Yeah. You know, and we're not playing the long game. Even, like I said, beginning in children's church. Yeah. That's where it begins. Yeah. And so we're not playing the long game and we're not saying to them, you know, you know, and relate these stories and everything that we're telling them to everyday life and and also to their futures. You know, you can be like a David, you know, when you grow up, you know, you can be you can be a world changer. You know, you can you can be a leader. Yeah. You know, we're, we're, we're not doing that. Yeah. And we, we need to be doing that, playing that long game. Give you were talking about coaches. Yeah. Like my first real coach was my boxing and wrestling coach, George Eberly. You know, and this was, like I said, in July before fifth grade. And he was with me all the way through, all the way through high school. I still everything. remember him. And, I, I, and right now, as, as you brought that up, I saw his face. Wow. You know, because he because and he said, you know, you got to you know, you got to lift weights. Wow. So that your shoulders and your arms and your back is stronger so that, so that you can fight better, you know, and you got to build up your, your core, you know. And so he got me into bodybuilding as well, you know. But this guy taught me so much stuff, you know, even about life, you know, even yeah. about life. I mean, I can remember my first fight, okay, was in August. I've only been training a couple of weeks. We're going to go to Camden, New Jersey, Police Athletic League. We're going to fight. And uh, so he says, Kelly... You're going to win, right? And I go, well, you know, yeah, I hope so. And he says, all right, well, you can't go. 
Whoa. And I said, what? He said, you can't go. I said, why? He said, because you don't believe you can win. Wow. He said, I can't take you. That's so good. He said, I can't take you. And he said, because he said, you'll have too much fear in you when you yeah. get in that ring. Yeah. So, so I didn't go. Wow. He wouldn't take me. He took the rest of the team. And then, so about a month later, we're going to Trenton, Police Athletic League. Yeah. And he says, Kelly, what are you going to do? I said, I am going to beat that guy to a pulp. <laughs> and he said, come on, boy. Get in the van. Yeah, you know, <laughs> Get in the come bus. Come on, man. Yeah. But I, I learned a lesson. Wow. You know, why enter that ring if I don't have confidence yeah. that I'm going to win, that I'm going to be exactly. a champion? Exactly. But the whole thing was it's all based on your training. Mm. It's all based on your discipline. All of life is like that. It's based on your training. It's based on your education. It's based on your discipline, based yeah. on your focus. See, faith is not an emotion. Faith is a substance. But faith produces the emotion of confidence, it produces courage in our lives. Oh, absolutely. Think about this. I would say... Like there are churches, they teach faith 52 weeks of the year. It's mm -hmm. like a special aid class for people that can't yeah. learn faith or something. And um, but one of the things that I've discovered, though, you know, over studying the word is that in the Old Testament, faith is only in two places in one book, mm. you know, but courage is mentioned. Uh, so if you look at Hebrews yeah. where it says by faith, they did this and by mm -hmm. faith, they did that. If that was Old Testament, it would have said by courage. By courage. And if wow. you look in the New Testament, everywhere but four scriptures, the word courage makes the scripture even more contextual and clear and more relevant to today's society. Yeah. Because we look at faith as a mental uh, accent, ascent, you know. So, so it's almost like, you know, uh, by, by faith I can make one of these books move on the table or something, you know, rather than just push it with my hand. And so... But faith is, is, really, is really the courage to stand for what you believe, to stand for the truth at all cost, no matter mm. what. You know, so that's why the apostles could say, well, their lives were not their own, because their faith, their courage was so incredible. But think about this. Their faith was based on something called eternity. Mm. So they believe that yes, you could put their body to death, but they will live forever yeah. in glory. Yeah, you know, and we, we don't really have a clear understanding eternal of, of uh, yeah of eternal of eternal of yeah uh, yeah so of eternity of an eternal heaven or an eternal hell. Strong stuff. I'm talking with Dr. John Kelly, who's the leading convener of the International Coalition of Apostolic Leadership, and one of my mentors in. Uh, John, it's been great having you on Brave Men. I want to finish with this. I want to finish with the story of the guys who came by your house, the bikers, came by your house, called you out. It's a great story. This is true ministry. This is what the ministry really looks like. You really want me to tell the story? Yeah, I want to tell the story. I want to tell the story. So I'd only been in ministry for full-time ministry for about three years. Yeah. It was prison ministry and military. And um, so I had a young man living in my home, and he was part of a, of a biker gang called the Warlocks. He was actually the, the, the head of the Warlocks, Tom Kaufman. And he was living in my home because I was discipling him. And um, 
he uh, he was uh, imprisoned for murder, and uh, then he was released because they found out he he wasn't part of that group that murdered mm-hmm. this particular guy. So, but he, he but he came to faith in prison, not through my ministry, through mm-hmm. another ministry, and so he was staying at our home. So then he left our home. And to, to go on his own, and he was working in construction, and he was dating a beautiful young woman who eventually married and so forth. So he was actually living in a whole other place. So I hear all this noise outside my home, and my home was in a place called Delanco, New Jersey, and it sat on this road called River Road. And my front yard was like a point, so my home was sitting on an angle. So I had a big front yard. And I hear all this noise, and there's a knock at my door. So I go to the door, and there's this huge guy, you know, dressed like a biker and a beard and the whole thing. And uh, so there's Tom Kaufman here. And I said, no, he's not here. And I said, well, we know he's here, and and uh, we, we, we want to see him. So I said, well, he's not here. So he said, well, bring him out. And I said, I'm telling you, he's not here. So I'm starting to get a little agitated. So... So uh, he says, well, step outside. So I step outside, and then I see these bikers. I mean, there's about 12 of them, mm-hmm. you know, that are, that are there around, my, around this point. And uh, so I said, are, are you the guy in charge? And he goes, no. He said, uh, I said, let me talk to him. Oh, yeah, okay, no problem. So he goes, and he gets the guy. And um, I'll never forget, I think his name was, uh, oh, I can't think. I, I know I'll get it wrong, so I won't say it. But so he comes, and uh, so he, so he, so he, he once again he brings up about Tom, and I said he's not here. So he said, "Listen," he said, we're, "He says if you don't let him out right now, he says we're we're, we're going to beat you up and go in there." And yeah, get we're going to go get him. And uh, this guy was now the head of the yeah. of the gang. So he was shorter than I was, and I, you know, I was still pretty buffed at that time. I was about maybe 250 pounds, but I still was, you know, I wasn't yeah. like when I was 235 or 240, but anyway. So I leaned over and whispered in his ear, you don't want to do that because I'm going to beat you to a pulp, and it's going to say, preacher puts the head of a biker gang in a hospital. And maybe all these guys will get me and beat me up, but I'll get you first. And all of a sudden, the cops came. There were state troopers and local police, and these guys all took off and, yeah. and all that. So I'm in Haiti. This is about three, more, three, four more years later. I'm in Haiti, and I'm doing a crusade in, in I think, St. Mark, Haiti. And, and so... There's a guy up on the platform with me, and I'm praying over people and casting devils out and all, and you know, healing ministry yeah. and all this. So I get back to the to the missionary's house, and there was all the workers there for the crusade and myself and others. And I go to and they offer me a, a drink, and there's a plate of cookies. I go to reach for a cookie, and this guy grabs my wrist. Really strong guy, you know, yeah. real stocky, real strong guy. And he says, you haven't washed your hands yet. You've been, you know, your hands been all over these people and everything. He said, he said, for your own health, you need to wash your hands. So I go wash my hands. So he comes back and he says, you remember me? And I'm looking at this guy and I'm thinking, no, not really. I don't want to insult him and say yeah, no. Yeah, and he, yeah. said, he said, remember 
the biker that you met in the middle of your front yard? I went, yeah. He said, that's me. Wow. He said, something happened when you whispered to me. Wow. He said, it's like you became huge. He said, he said, I never, he said, I had a chill in my body. I knew it was fear. Hmm. And, and he said, several weeks later, I come, I came to faith. Wow. And he became an elder in a church over really? in Pennsylvania and everything. He became, yeah. And so in, Kaufman became a great business guy. <laughs> so what we're going to do is advise most pastors to take uh, MMA. No, that, that just one of them freak stories, you know. I mean, yeah. You're trying to bring out of me all my bad stuff. You know? No, that was like that's a good one. I think that's amazing. You know, and really, what it is, it comes back to this: is is that there are times where where you have to learn when to stand. Right. Yeah. I didn't have any weapons. I didn't want them going in my house. I had a wife and child in there right. that I loved and I was out to protect. Yeah. And so but there's times that we have to stand. Correct. And uh, Ephesians six, having done all stand. Mm -hmm. And I think stand sometimes is aggressive. And I think sometimes even standing, if you will, uh, loving others is aggressive. I, I believe the following Jesus Christ is an aggressive way to live. Mm -hmm. And I mean that in the kindest way, in the sense of where we aggressively love others, we aggressively help others, we aggressively help people get healed, we aggressively cast out the enemy, uh, we go after this thing with reckless abandon. And that's how I want to live my life, and that's how I want to finish strong. Well, Jesus said, you know, the violent take it by force. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, he's, he's talking about being assertive. Yeah. You know, and, and being aggressive in what you believe, being aggressive, your faith is a, has to be an aggressive faith. Go after it. Yes. So if we're going into business as a follower of Christ, we got to go after it. Yes. If we're going, if we're, we're uh, running a company, whatever we're doing, go, go after it strong. Yes. And do everything you know to do to build that, to prosper, to protect your family, to help your children grow up strong, do the stuff you know to do. I mean, I know some guys that don't do, I've talked to men who said, uh, yeah, I don't really do the family altar thing. I don't get my kids together and pray. I said, why not? He said, I don't know what to say. So, dude, just say something. <laughs> so, just say something. You know, just get them together. You don't have to know all the stained glass stuff. Just get them together and go, hey, we're going to pray. It's going to take, take three minutes because that's all I know. Okay? But I'm going to pray a blessing over each one of you as my children. Father, I just thank you in the name of Jesus for my kids, and I bless them now, everything they're facing. And then just pray for each little thing. Well, I could do that. That's all you got to do. That's all it is. But you do that, and you become your child's hero and model. Yes. I mean, it, it's in that right there, it may take courage for a man to do that because he doesn't want to look foolish. But what will happen in that moment, and you're going to have to tell them to turn off, hey, turn off your tablet, whatever you're watching right now, the music, and, and create the atmosphere in your home of who you want that house to be, who you are, and just be courageous and go after it. Be aggressive. Yeah, I mean, a family's not a democracy. <laughs> Come on, somebody. So, yeah. you know, a, a family has a government and has a governmental structure within it. Exactly. And it has delegations of, of responsibility and delegation of what are our values as a family? You know, what's our mission as a family? What truths, you know, what are our truths? What is it we're willing to stand for as a family? We're going to unpack all that in the third 
uh, program we do with uh, Dr. John Kelly. Thank you for being with us on Brave Men. It really is a, a blessing. And it's, it's just, you know, uh, when we talk about modeling, this is a, a man who's a general in the faith, who speaks into the lives of leaders of leaders all over the world. And uh, really a blessing to have you on Brave Men. You've just experienced Brave Men with Paul Lewis Cole. Paul is president of the Christian Men's Network. Connect with Paul at cmn.men or write to him at paul at cmn.men.